0: Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9am at Discovery Church in Boise where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionvoicey.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill.
1: Good morning. How are you guys doing? Some of you might be thinking, oh my goodness, this guy is speaking again. If that's how you're feeling... I have good news for you. Uh, This is the last time I'm speaking this summer. Um, So I don't feel like I should have to introduce myself to you. This is the third time I've spoke this summer already. Um, But just in case, my name is Kyle. Um, As you see on the screen, today our conversation is going to begin with Comic Sans. Sounds like a weird place to start. I have actually this week had now multiple people mention the fact that I use Comic Sans, and my PowerPoints come up in conversation. So we're going to talk about it for just a second. Um, the fact that I use it is actually not an accident. I am trained in making PowerPoints. I do understand that Comic Sans is not a formal font that you should use. Um, I, I actually train my students. I know how to use academic uh, PowerPoints. I know how to do it all. But there's a, a reason I use Comic Sans, and it's not to look cutesy or funny. Um, My first couple years of teaching um, was teaching students who are neurodivergent or have different learning differences. And one of the first trainings I went to in preparing for that, we were trained that Comic Sans is proven to be one of the most readable fonts for students who have learning challenges when it comes to reading. So from that point on, when I'm not in an academic setting where I need to make a formal uh, presentation, I intentionally use Comic Sans as my font to make my presentation most welcoming to those who might have dyslexia or dyslexic tendencies. Uh, You might say, well, is there anybody in particular that we're talking about? Statistically... 5 to 10% of the people in this room have been diagnosed with dyslexia. And up to 20% of this room uh, will at least have dyslexic tendencies. So if it's not something you struggle with, that's fine. But understand that there are people in this room where it might be beneficial for them. So I do understand it's not a formal, like, academic, professional font. But there is a reason I do it. I do it to make sure that the table is most welcoming for everybody. Okay. So there you go. I will continue to do it unless somebody forces me to not. All right. Um, Okay, so now I'm going to move forward. Uh, So this is something I do also want to let you know. Um, Last week, I had mentioned uh, to Christina, she was going to give the announcements, that I was going to say some things that maybe it would be good if there's not children there for. I knew I didn't want my eight-year-old present for the message just because a couple things I was going to say. So she she playfully mentioned to you guys that it was going to be rated PG-13, And what I found out afterwards was that multiple people in the room only paid attention to the message because they were waiting to find out what was going to be rated PG-13 in the message. So I'm going to start off by telling you today it's going to be NC-17 and just hoping you'll pay attention. All right, if you weren't... (laughs) Um, Your kid likes uh, Spider-Man, right? Uh, does not engage with Comic Sans? No? Okay. Mm. Okay, sounds good. All right. Um, if you weren't here last week, I feel really weird saying this. It sounds very arrogant. I would encourage you to listen to the message because I did talk about lots of important things that will help you with understanding the things we've been talking about. I feel arrogant saying it. I don't mean it that way. But I just can't recap a lot of that stuff, but it will help you with moving forward. Um, also, listen. and I had a conversation on Friday that will be coming up in the podcast to even clarify some of those things further if it helps you. Um, I will give a really short summary of a couple of important pieces to help you stay with us. Uh, what we talked about last week was that um, John says that there's, there's two ways. There's the, the way of the Father and there's the way of the world. And the way of the world, he's not talking about the people of the world. He's talking about the worldview of the world. Okay, And he's, he's connecting it back to the beginning, Genesis. Um, and what he says is that, uh, what we see in the beginning is that God creates humans in his image. He creates us to be his, his image bearer. We see in, in the beginning of Genesis, there's no hierarchy. There's no status. Everybody is created equally. Uh, your gender, your, your race, your, your socioeconomic status, none of those things change your status as an image bearer. We are all equal. There's no hierarchy in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, Being an image bearer is an inherent identity for all humans, okay? Connected to this is the calling that God gives for all humans to partner with him as his kings and priests. Um, And I intentionally say kings, not kings and queens, because Kings and queens uh, implies that there's a difference, and there's no difference in Genesis 1 and 2. We're all there, no hierarchy, no status. Kings and queens. I'm sorry, not kings and queens. Delete that. Kings and priests. So this is our purpose. This is our calling. Uh, To describe it a little bit further, I'm sorry, Matt, can you go to the next slide? I told you I was going to tell you, and I didn't tell you. Um, So um, to explain being a king and a priest even more, it's to co-rule creation, and I will note that the text does not say to rule over people. It's to co-rule with him creation, but we're ruling it in God's name. He's still God, we're not. Um, And to represent God to creation and to represent creation to God, okay? So that's what we see. But then in Genesis 3, humans reject this and we choose the system of the world. We stand before two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We reject the way of the Father, the tree of life. We choose the way of the world. That does not mean that we lose our status as image bearers. We can't lose that. But what we do is we reject it. Can you go to the next slide for me, please? The best example I can give you is, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Lion King. If you haven't seen Lion King, I'll pray for you. Um, it's a classic, like, what's wrong with you? But um, in Lion King, you guys know you have, um, you have Simba. Simba never loses his, his, his status, his identity as the heir, right? But he does forget his place. Does that make sense? So humans forget their place as image bearers, but that doesn't mean that they've lost it. And while we forget our place as image bearers, We tend to hand our authority over to systems that don't actually work. Um, God does all the work to cover the ground to make it possible for us to step back into our full calling, which is the atonement. Jesse did an amazing job talking about that a few weeks ago. And we are still called and empowered to be kings and priests in his name. And the question is, do we believe that? Will we grab hold of that calling? Uh, Would you go to the next one, please, sir? All right. So if you've seen The line the Witch, in the Wardrobe, again, another spoiler, at the end, I mean, you could read the book too, I recommend that, um, you have the scene with the children and the thrones, and that's what the purpose that Lewis is telling you when he shows you these thrones, is the idea that we still have this calling to sit on the thrones as the kings and priests in his creation. All right, so that's your really short summary of last week, but I assure you that I explained it much better last week. Now, from all of that, we get to talk about the next part of the text. We're going to look at 1 John 2, verses 18 to 27. Are you guys warmed up and stretched out? You ready to go? All right. Um, Matt, will you give me the next slide? There we go. Dear children, this is the last hour. We got that dear children again. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. We didn't get very far before we ran into something that probably got you a little interested. We're talking about, give me the next slide, please, sir, the Antichrist. (laughs) So here's the funny thing. I forgot what I was talking about this week while I was making the message last week. And I was like, this one's going to be heavy, but next week I'm going to go really light on them. And then I was working on this message and I was like, oh great, I forgot I was doing the Antichrist. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Antichrist today. So, all right, all your, those of you that live through the 80s, remembering all the great 80s horror movies and stuff, get all that good imagery going in your head. All right, so we're going to talk about the Antichrist. Start thinking right now all the things you can think of when you've, what you've heard about the Antichrist, right? Okay, if I could have the next one, who is the Antichrist? I'm sure you've heard, if you've been around the church, you've probably heard some great messages about the Antichrist, um, Maybe you've had people that have told you about these big prophecies about the Antichrist. Um, let's go through a list. These are some people that people have said were the Antichrist, people that I've heard called the Antichrist. Um, go ahead. That's, uh, that's Nero. In the first century, people sometimes referred to him as the Antichrist. Who could call that guy the Antichrist? I mean, look at his eyes. They're beautiful. That guy's the Antichrist. Okay. So Nero. Okay, give me the next one. The Pope. Is the Pope the Antichrist? Um, I know even... Protestants today who I've still heard call the Pope the Antichrist. Is the Pope the Antichrist? All right, how about the next one? Hitler? Is Hitler the Antichrist? I mean, we can fault him for a lot of things, not least of which being the fact that he was brave enough to rock that mustache. Um, Is he the Antichrist? Uh, What about the next guy? Stalin? Stalin the Antichrist? I've definitely heard people call him the Antichrist. Uh, How about the next one? The guy on the left... Um, Some of you might be too young to know who he is. That's Gorbachev. Um, I definitely heard him called the Antichrist. That birthmark on his head didn't help. I heard people call that the mark of the beast. Um, You might notice the guy on the right. Uh, He's in the news a lot today. That's Putin. He mentored him. Um, All right. Uh, How about the next one? I mean, how could we leave them out? If some of you don't know, that's the band Kiss. Okay. Um, How about the next one? Obama, I definitely remember hearing lots of conversations of people, typically Christians, calling him the Antichrist. Um, I will be controversial and propose it had nothing to do with what he believed or said, um, but definitely heard people call him the Antichrist. Okay, how about the next one? Donald Trump, definitely heard people call him the Antichrist. I've, is he the Antichrist? I've definitely heard lots of Christians make him into a Messianic figure. Does that make him the Antichrist though? I that's a question we get to answer today. We get to look at that. How about the next one? Joe Biden, is he the Antichrist? And there we go. He's, he's a dark brand, uh, Brandon up there. Is he the Antichrist? So today we're going to wrestle with what is the Antichrist? Okay, before we answer that question, we got to keep moving forward though. So um, if you can give me the next one there. We're not done with even this part of the verse though. Dear children... This is the last hour. What does the last hour mean? That's a heavy phrase too. So, the last hour. It's a, it's a theological phrase. Um, if you were to look at the story of the Bible as chapters, like uh, in the way it plays out, the last hour, the, the easiest way for me to say it, is it's the section of the story that happens Right before the end, and we're in it. It's a really long chapter. If any of you happen to have read a Tom Clancy book before, sometimes he can put some super long chapters in there. It's a really long chapter. So far, it's about 2,000 years long, and it's still going. God can write really long. All right, It, it starts with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and it's gonna go until Christ returns. Whenever that is, And in Matthew 24, the disciples are asking Jesus about some of this stuff and and when's it going to come and all of that. And Jesus basically says, mind your business, don't worry about it. Just just keep going, okay? So we don't know how long this chapter is, but we're in it. That's what you need to know. It's this final chapter. Now, some things to know, um, some things I will tell you, is that the people that study the last hour, this is called the study of eschatology, okay? Eschatology is the study of the the last days, the last things. Um, I'm not going to get into a full explanation of it. We could do a whole series on it, and I think you would be rocked if we did. I honestly don't think you truly understand our great hope if you don't understand eschatology. Um, I think you'd be surprised to know what eschatology actually teaches us. But I'm going to give you two little bits that many people are surprised uh, if you don't know them. Uh, Most of my students are blown away to learn this but I think they're important for us to understand in our message today. First thing to know about what we're looking forward to when Christ returns. When Christ returns, our great hope is not that we float away as little spirits and then we're going to sit in heaven as um, spirits for eternity. We also don't go to heaven and sit there rocking a diaper and playing a harp for eternity. Um, First Corinthians 15 says that when Christ returns, just like He had a bodily resurrection, we will experience a bodily resurrection. I can't go much further into it right now for the sake of time, but I gave you the receipt. Feel free to look it up, 1 Corinthians 15. OK? We will have a bodily resurrection. What happened when Jesus was bodily resurrected? He walked around. He ate food He talked to them. He hung out. They could touch him. Okay? We're not going to be spirits. That's Greek philosophy. That's Plato. That's Gnosticism. That's not Christianity. Our bodies matter. Remember the message from last week? Creation is significant to God. Our bodies matter. And that's going to be important for the message today. Second thing, creation matters The great hope that we're looking forward to isn't that God throws creation away and we spend eternity in heaven. Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of your Bible. Again, I gave you the receipts. Please look them up and read them. The last two chapters of your Bible tell you God's going to wash creation clean, get rid of all the bad stuff, no more sin, no more death, No more pain, no more crying. Heaven and earth become one. It specifically tells you actually heaven comes down to earth. We have a garden 2.0. Okay. In fact, my students in my classes, I make them do an assignment where they compare the language of Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 and compare how much the language is the same. It's our great hope. What God started, he finishes, and it's even better. I'm sorry if you haven't been told that before, but that's our great hope, because God said it was good. He said it was very good, and the serpent doesn't get to ruin it. Would, would God win if the serpent got to ruin it, and then he throws it away? No. He's going to wash it and restore it, and he's going to dwell with us forever, and that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And creation matters. Does that make sense? Even if you haven't heard it before, does that make sense? Okay, so I encourage you to look it up. And if you have questions about it, I'd love to talk to you about it. All right. So we are in the last hour getting ready for that day. Okay, so now let's finish the sentence. We haven't finished the first sentence of the message. Okay. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Wait a minute, that probably rocks your idea of the Antichrist. There's not one. He's writing this in the 80s or 90s AD, and he says many have already come. And there's probably many more coming. He says it's expected. This is how we know it's the last hour. Because in Daniel 11, it's a really complicated uh, prophecy. I'm not going to get into it all, but in short... Daniel says he's talking about a time when the church, uh, the people of God are going to experience some trials and they're going to face some deception during those trials. And John is basically pointing back to that saying, we're in a time of challenge and we're facing deception. We shouldn't be surprised by that. That's all he's saying here, okay? That's the, the Cabral paraphrase. Okay, so... That already probably rocked your understanding of the Antichrist. It's not one big overbearing political figure like Hitler or Putin or whoever. It's many possibilities that already had happened by the time John was writing this. Okay, uh, next one please. Now he says, they went out from us but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. They, the antichrists, they belonged to us. They were part of the church. Once again, that's now shaping our understanding of the Antichrist. They aren't outsiders coming to attack the church. They were people from within the church that have now walked away. I'm going to tell you something right now. The word antichrist shows up in your Bible five times. None of them are in the book of Revelation. In fact, all five of them are in the letters of John. Four of them are in 1 John, and we're going to hit three of them today. Okay? Um, So whatever big ideas you had about the antichrist, delete them. Okay? Okay. They're people from the church. They're people that walked within the midst of the people in the church. They had the opportunity to participate with fellow Christians, and they're people who walked away and rejected it. That's the Antichrist. I'll let you take a deep breath right there, because I just completely rocked you, but that's what John just told us, right? All right. So, A couple weeks ago, Bob was talking about Koinonia, the fellowship, right? There are people that had the opportunity for fellowship and chose to not participate. Do you see that? They chose something different instead. They chose an alternative. All right. Um, Matt, give me the next one, please. But you, you have an anointing from the Holy One. Those of you that are still here, those of you that are still part of the fellowship, you have an anointing from the Holy One. All of you know the truth. There's that word know that we keep encountering through this letter. Why? God not only knows you, but he's made himself available for you to know him. And you that are here are the ones who have chosen to participate in that, the ones who have taken hold, the ones who have chosen to know him. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you. There's that I do not write to you. Remember, Cindy spoke uh, two weeks ago. She had those two stanzas that kept saying, I write to you, I write to you. Um, You're going to see John continues that with two more today. But here he kind of sets it up funny. He says, I do not um, write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. So who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. There you go. That's what the Antichrist is. So let me explain this further. More specifically, in their church at the time, they're dealing with a heresy. Uh, it's it, uh, Docetism, um, I'm going to go really short with it because it's not really important for you to know all the details of it, but it's this idea that um, the people that believe this heresy will tell you that Jesus actually doesn't have a bodily form, he's just a spirit, that the people think he looks like he has a bodily form, and so there's that whole rejection of the body thing again, that the matter doesn't matter, um, and so he, has, he doesn't have this bodily form. And what that's going to mean, though, is that that means his resurrection wasn't a bodily resurrection, which makes his resurrection null and void. I know it sounds really weird and stupid. It is. Um, don't, don't really worry about the details of it, but that's what they believe, and he's arguing with it. It also means, since the Messiah would come from the line of David, To be coming from the line of David means he would have had to have been born from a family line. If he's only a spirit, he can't be born of a family line. Therefore, he's not the Messiah. Therefore, they reject Jesus. I know it doesn't make sense. Don't worry about the fact that it doesn't make sense. The main point that I think you need to understand is two things. One, Jesus does take on bodily form. Because you, being an image bearer in bodily form, matters. So Jesus came and took on bodily form because... He cares about us and our bodily form matters. And number two, we don't have access to the Father without the Son. And if we reject the Son, we don't have the Father. Does that make sense? That's the important parts of this. So, the main things here that makes them the Antichrist is that they had access to the truth. They had access to who Jesus was and they decided to believe something else outside of the truth and ran with it. They had access to fellowship with Jesus, and they chose to run with something different. That's what makes them the Antichrist. Um, To break it down even further, Christ, uh, just in case somebody doesn't know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Um, I know that for some of us that might sound funny, but not everybody knows that. Uh, Jesus' last name would have been of Joseph, or of Nazareth, or for the people that knew he wasn't born of Joseph, they would call him of Mary. Um, Christ was not his last name. It's a title. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah, which just means he was the anointed one. Okay, so Christ. Anti means instead of. So Antichrist just means instead of Christ. An Antichrist is somebody who chooses to believe something else instead of Christ. All right, Um, we're going to move on, we're going to move forward. May I have the next one, please? And he says, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Don't be like those people, the antichrists, who had access to the truth and rejected it. Hold fast to the things that we've been talking about, all these truths that we've known from the beginning." the things we talked about last week, the things that Cindy talked about, the things that Jesse talked about, the things that Bob talked about, all these things that John has been telling us in this letter. Hold fast to them. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. This sentence is my most famous, my favorite, famous, my most favorite sentence in this Text today. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. What stood out to me is it doesn't say you will remain with the Son and with the Father. It says you will remain in the Son and in the Father. The depth of the intimacy in those words touched me. Do, do you hear it? The in. Um, It doesn't get deeper than that. The the Trinitarian love of we don't get to stand with God. He's inviting us into him. It doesn't get deeper than that. If we hold fast to him, he brings us into him. And to me, that just struck me as really beautiful and powerful, very intimate. That's the depth of the relationship that he wants with us. And this is what he promises us, eternal life. Eternal life, by the way, something to note. Eternal life is not something we're looking forward to. If you're in Christ, eternal life has already started for you. That's something you need to grab hold of. I'm in Christ. I'm already in eternal life. Let that sink in. Everything I'm doing for the kingdom is eternal. It's already started. The story doesn't stop for me. It continues on eternally now. That's our promise. That's the journey from here. All right, next one, please. So now he brings it around. This is his summary. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray, okay? As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. You don't need extra teachings. You don't need somebody to deliver you a, a golden tablet that says, oh, wait, there's some new information you need to know. It's already all here. Now, I might have said some things, or Jesse or Bob or whoever, Cindy, might have said some things that maybe might be new information for you, but we've given you the receipts. They're here. It's not new. It just might be new to you. He's saying, don't let somebody come to you with a new idea. Okay, That's what the people were believing that he's, he's, he's talking about. They were believing a new idea. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, it's not counterfeit. Believe the truths you've been taught, the real, just as it has taught you. Remain in him. Okay, so this is his summary, wrapping up the teaching. Here's a couple things I want you to note. Going back to last week, matter matters. Creation matters. You being an image bearer matters. It matters. That's a major piece in the story. Jesus and his bodily resurrection matters. Those things are important. Okay? Number two. The big thing in this text that's probably going to stand out to most American Christians would be the Antichrist. But did you note in this recapping of the message, he doesn't even mention the Antichrist anymore? He's done with it. The big piece in this is remain in him. That's the main point. We don't need to live in fear of the Antichrist, but we do need to be aware of lies. We need to be mentally prepared for when lies pop up. And there's lots of lies in the church. There's lots of people that are in the church that say things that aren't actually of God. Um, The law of God is the law of love. When somebody's speaking a gospel of hate, I'm sorry, that's not God's law. When somebody's speaking a gospel of division, it's not God's law. When somebody's speaking a gospel of dominance and power or saying, push down the weak for the benefit of the the elite, I'm sorry, that's not God's law. For God, weakness is power. We need to be aware of those things. Um. One way to help you be aware of these things, by the way, um, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, When I was in youth group, I can't remember most of the messages when I was in youth group, but one message I remember, some people that know me have probably heard this story before. It's one of the only youth group messages I remember. Um, My youth pastor gave this message, and he got all finished with his message, and then at the end of it, and we were like, okay, great, great message. We talked about it for a minute, and then he said, guess what? I made the whole thing up. None of those verses were real. But if you'd had your Bibles, you would have realized that. I have a question for you. How do you guys know that the verses I put up here today were right? How are you making sure that you are prepared to make sure that what you're being taught is actually correct? I made sure to give you the receipts so that you can look them up. But for real, though, how do you know that what people are teaching you is correct? Come prepared. That's my encouragement to you. Come prepared. When I bring my Bible to church, it's not so that I can look cool, I assure you. Um, I'm a 46-year-old Bible and history teacher. There's nothing cool about it. Um, All right? Uh, It's because I want to engage with the Word, and I want to make sure that Robert's telling us the truth. Um, All right. Number three, the most important part of this is remain in Him. That's the most important thing to get out of this. Don't forget the truths. Remain in him. And the most important part about remaining in him is making sure you're actually staying in relationship with him and dating him. I know it sounds weird to say dating him. It sounds like I'm talking to my students, but it's very real. If I only talked to my wife two to three times a month for just a little bit, we wouldn't have a very healthy marriage, right? Um, That's just a truth, but that's how many of us live out our faith as we encounter God maybe two or three times a month for just a little bit. And I know we've all heard that before, but for real, are you spending time with your Bibles? This is how God makes himself known to us. He makes Him. it's all here. And I have a really easy and cheap solution for you. There's an app, it's called YouVersion. It's free. And it's got all kinds of Bible reading plans in it. It's completely free. Spend time in it. And here's the cool thing. You could say, I don't have time to read it. Um, You can listen to it. Well, I don't learn from listening. You also don't learn from not reading. So you'll learn better from listening. And actually, the Bible was written to be heard. Um, So give it a shot. I recommend the Bible project plans. And there's even an easy way to set it up so it tells you if you've missed a day or two. What does it hurt to try? Last one. And then I'm done. Um, I have a question for you. Here, I just encourage you to read your Bibles. I encourage you to spend time with it. And do you feel, this is a question for you, do you feel like you are equipped to actually engage with your Bibles? Do you feel like you're equipped to understand how to get to know God better? This is something I learned as a teacher is that your class will talk until you actually ask a real question. Um, so I'm going to tell you a short story. I think I've gone a little long, but I'm going to tell you a short story. Um, I've been to church for most of my life. I rejected church. I just had to go. But um, I've been to church most of my life. But I, in my, my mid-20s, as I got serious about my faith, I actually found myself in ministry and yet still realized I didn't actually know what to do with my Bible. So most of our messages that we were giving myself and the other youth pastor were mainly us finding verses to support whatever it was we wanted to say in our messages, which is actually what many pastors do. Um, I was frustrated. I had lots of questions about what's in my Bible, but I couldn't find anybody to actually help me understand. And after I moved on from that church, I went to another church that had this Bible scholar that they'd hired on staff, and he started teaching classes. He had a a non-accredited Bible school. And what I found was that as I started taking these classes, I realized most of what I thought was in my Bible isn't actually there. And most of what is actually in my Bible was way more beautiful than anything else that I'd ever been told. Um, and I got a little angry that I'd never heard these things before. And that became my mission. Why I actually then went on to go to Bible school and got fancy pieces of paper was because a big part of my calling was I wanted to make sure other people had access to those things. So this is a question I'm going to ask you. Do you want access to those things? If you would be at all interested in studying the Bible with me, I would like to do that with you. Last spring, Robert asked me if I would want to do that. Um, I would like to do that with you. Okay? So if that's something that's of interest to you, please come Talk to me. If you don't have time today, half the people here have my phone number. They can give it to you. Um, Okay? Please come talk to me and let me know so that we can figure out how to do that. I would like to start doing that with you. Okay? Um, The Bible is beautiful. And the only way that we can make sure that we don't have antichrists in our church is if we can truly engage the truth. And even more important than preventing antichrists, God is beautiful. And I want you to know him. All right. All right. Um, Worship team, if I can ask you guys to come up. We're going to have communion. We talked about remaining in him. By the way, thank you for letting me go a little bit long there. Um, We're going to participate in communion. The main point of the message today was remaining in him. And this is what I want to encourage you to do um, I'm going to ask you guys to come up on the outside to take the elements. Go back through the middle. You can take the elements um, as, you, as you feel that you want to take them. Um, as you take them, I would encourage you to focus on the idea that Jesus, his resurrection was a bodily resurrection, and he invites you to dwell in him. Wrestle with what that means. Let it be a theological moment for you to wrestle with what does it mean that Jesus thought it was important, that God thought it was important for Jesus to have a bodily resurrection? And what does it mean for you to dwell and remain in him? Okay? Jesus, thank you that you love us so much that you didn't feel it was so necessary to stay in your place, but instead you loved us so much that you came and you joined us in the flesh. That you not only joined us and walked with us, but that you were willing to sacrifice yourself for us, intercede for us. Thank you for making a way for us to eternally remain in you. We love you, Father. Amen.
0: Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God.